A very good morning to you. Uh, I really look forward to preaching this message for a long time, but this week really wasn't a good time. I need to make a public announcement. It's a, a tough announcement to make. Uh, I've been in the ministry for 30 years, and I have never had to make this kind of announcement ever until two years ago, and I have to do it again today. Uh, it's, a, it's a sad time for the church, but I'm reminded that a revival comes when we are awakened from where we are and that as we realize how sinful sin can be and when we call out to God, then there would be a chance for new life. Uh, I've been thinking this week about the events and I've been asking the Lord to help me to not just read a cold announcement, it can be really cold, but to put it in context. Uh, I'm right now in the middle of, uh, towards the end of the book of Exodus. And you remember the part where in Exodus 32, the people sinned against God by making a calf, and Moses came down the mountain, he was really angry with the people, and the people sinned. And God says that he is going to destroy all of them and make a new nation uh, out of Moses. And what did Moses say? Lord, they are your people. What will people think, you know? And he was interceding for them. And I, I feel the same way, that we are all sinners. I come to you this morning, I felt like, I, I feel like I'm Isaiah in Isaiah 6 that I'm a sinner with unclean lips and I'm speaking to people of unclean lips. And I'm asked to preach from this word the ideals in this word, but knowing full well that I am not a total saint, that I'm still under construction and I have that battle within me so I pray that when you hear this announcement, that you will hear it in this light, that the church is a hospital. We, we, we are sinners. That's why we come. We, we, we need the cure. Uh, we need the help. And Jesus said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance, not the righteous. That's why we are here. This is the announcement that I have to make to you this morning. I'm just going to read it. And the last thing I would say before I read it is, I asked myself this week, the brother Jared is my own brother in the flesh. How would I treat him as a brother and a brother in Christ? And I would suggest that 
you'll find it in your heart to forgive him. Yes, be angry. Uh, we have all those feelings. But I pray that you think about that. This is the announcement. The shepherding team regrets to announce the immediate termination of Jared McCabe as youth pastor. According to a police report, Jared has confessed to using the church network to download and view child pornography literature for his self-gratification. There was no physical abuse and no RCCC children or youths were involved. The shepherding team wishes to apologize to the congregation for its failure to protect the church and our inability to support the youth director. In an effort to prevent such occurrence in the future, we have taken the following steps of corrective action. One, implement an accountability support program among the church staff and elders. Two, introduce a counseling and education program to assist the youth and youth parents on this issue. Three, change the church wireless network password and limit the use of wireless network for the time being. Fourth, pursue a solution to implement a firewall and web filter to monitor the web activities in the church network. Fifth, above all, we want to invite you to pray for Abby and support her to pray for Jared's repentance and restoration. Moving forward, we have held our first combined debriefing meeting with separate youth counseling sessions this past Friday night. We will offer another combined debriefing session for parents and youths in the MPR at one o'clock today. We especially encourage those parents and youths who did not attend the first debriefing session to come and the youths to stay behind for any needed counseling. We are also planning additional counseling sessions to provide continual support for our youths to be announced at a later date. As we review and assess how to proceed with our youth program in the near term, we plan to mobilize the Youth Parent Council to support youth program and activities. Please prepare your hearts and respond when they ask you to help out. That's the announcement that I have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, our hearts are heavy this morning. And Lord, we pray for you. We, we know, Lord, that we have dishonored you, first of all. And that, Lord, we have dishonored the name of your church. And we have failed to help a brother uh, and a family that we fail to see this coming. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and ask for, a, for, for your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to know how we can learn from this tragic situation. And Father, we know that you are sovereign. You are high and mighty. You are unfazed uh, by what we do. We do not add to your glory, nor do we diminish your glory in any single way. But Father, we feel shamed. And so we pray, Father, for forgiveness. We ask, Father, this morning that your spirit 
work with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let me ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's interesting that uh, we planned this more than a year ago. Uh, I had spoken to the church council, the elder board, that you really want to build second phase? You really want to move forward? And if you do, we will face tough times. And so this series was planned more than a year ago because I felt that um, whenever, we, whenever we want to move forward and do something great for God's kingdom, uh, he, his enemy will not stop in stopping us. And so I felt that the series on spiritual warfare is needed. And I can't plan it. And that the first sermon of, the, of this series is on this Sunday. So I think it's a wake-up call for us that we are asked to wake up. We are in warfare. We are to put on an armor that we have been provided and we find it in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. You can count. Four times. He mentioned we have to stand because we are fighting a spiritual warfare. On December 7, 1941, we all know that day, that's the day when the Imperial Navy of Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, I've seen many films, you have, must have seen many documentaries uh, of the attack that day. They have many similarities, and one of them would be it was a beautiful Sunday morning. Everybody was enjoying the weather. At 7.48 a.m. that morning, Hawaiian time, the first bomb dropped, and it was all over in less than two hours. It was not an expected attack. It took everybody by surprise. It was a surprise attack. It was a preemptive attack. Why? Because Japan didn't want the U.S. to meddle with their operations in Southeast Asia and in East Asia. So take out the U.S. Navy. You know, 2,000 over, 2,000 over servicemen died that day. 2,335 to be exact, 68 civilians. 1,000 over wounded. And the most was 1,000 over sailors on the USS Arizona because the magazine exploded and killed thousands over of them. On Monday, the next day, December the 8th, the United States and Britain declared war on Japan. 
You know, the truth of the matter is that most Americans didn't believe that an attack from Japan was even possible. People didn't believe. People were making jokes, thought it's a hoax. They kept saying it, it couldn't be, could never happen. And even the radar people saw the planes coming. It couldn't be, uh, it's our own planes. It is very similar to what Christians are thinking today, that we live and act like we are not fighting a spiritual warfare. Everything is fine. We have peace. We are at peace. We live and act as if there is no devil and enemy. We live and act like life is all there is right here. This is heaven on earth. We don't have to wait for the eternal life in the future. Here, you can enjoy heaven. We would just be laughed at. People would say, you're crazy. There is no devil. Well, if that's the case, I, I would invite you, read all the missionary reports. you find that when the missionaries go to new places to share the gospel, the devil does not like people to now come to know Jesus Christ. They will attack the missionaries. They will attack the people who turn to Christ. In John 10, 10, what did Jesus say? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, what happened is that the devil takes no prisoners. He kills and he destroys. In fact, it says he comes at us as a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 to see who he can gobble up. And if we are not ready, we will be gobbled up. We will be eaten alive. But today, as we speak to the average Christian, this is far from our mind. The devil is just a figment of somebody's imagination. He is not a real person. Oh, he is just a force, the force, the dark side. We are here to frolic. We are here to enjoy life. Life is a picnic. We are not at war. We are getting ready for life, but we are really living it right now. We don't have to get ready for heaven. So there was a dialogue in this movie. I think I've seen it a few times. It's called Behind Enemy Lines. Do you remember? And there was one dialogue. The captain was talking to this maverick fighter pilot. And the pilot, fighter pilot was bored with his mission. And he told the captain, we are not at war. We're just playing games. And you know what the captain said? Son, you don't know anything about war. The moment this, this aircraft carrier sails out of San Diego Bay, we are at war. This is a warship. That's why we are given this task. And I think what happened is that as Christians, many of us don't feel that way. You know, we are called, we are, we are told we are at war. And each one of us is called to be a soldier. Each one of us is called to be an athlete that must give all the strength and the stamina to run this race and to fight this battle. And often we don't because we think we are playing games. 
we're having fun. We're just playing computer games in the worship service. You know, we are just fiddling. We are just, instead of listening, we are doodling. We're doing all kinds of things. Because why? We're not at war. There are many, many words in the Bible that tells us that we are at war. We are in a deadly fight. Look at 1 Timothy 6. That was one of the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. What did he say? Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Look at it. It's in the present tense. Fight the good fight today. And that's so interesting in 2 Timothy 4, 7. At the end of his life, Paul, who gave that advice, said, I have fought that good fight that I told you to fight. I finished. It's in the past tense. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know what's so interesting about those two expressions? Fight the good fight. Fight the fight. The word fight is the word agonize. Agonize in this agony. It's not easy. It is not a cakewalk. It requires sacrifice. When was the last time you pushed yourself that, Lord, I really need to pray for this person. I really need to read the Bible. I really need to understand what this book is all about. I really need to share the gospel with this person. But then everything else is pushing. Oh, you have this party to go to, you know. You have this romance novel to read. Uh, you have this TV show to watch, you know. And so we relax and we let it go. But Paul says, there is a fight to fight. Are we fighting the fight? Are we actively involved? You know, later on, I'm going to ask a couple of our guys who are karate experts about how they prepare for a fight. And I've got a feeling that many of us as Christians are not prepared for the most important fight of our life. A karate fight is important, but this spiritual fight is more important than anything because the outcome is a lot more deadly. Paul understood the Christian life as a fight that requires effort. And in this passage we just read, four times he says, we have to stand. And in verse 14, he's, he underlines it by adding the word, you need to stand firm. Now, when we hear of that, what comes to your mind? You know, I was thinking of this message. I think of this. You probably have not seen this. This was my lifetime. This was a movie that I saw before 300 came out. But it's for the same event. We all knew that. We, we all know the history, sort of, that 300 men, but actually it's more than 300. You know, it sounds good, 300. But you go to and read, it's more than 300. But they stood against many times more enemies and they defended their country at a narrow place called Thermopylae and we know that battle by that name and why did they do that? Because they are defending homeland. They, they, they were able to bottleneck the Persians, the Spartans, so that the Athenians and the Spartans could rally and you know what history tells us? Because they bought 
time, the Grecian navy destroyed the Persian navy. And as a result of that, the tide was turned. And, and the Persians were pushed back into Asia Minor because they stood and they died, all of them. They paid a high price. They were defending home ground. I'm just wondering this morning, what is your home ground? Could be your home. See, what, what we are talking about, the, the problem that gave rise to what happened the past few weeks, internet, things on TV, that's been into our house. That's homebound. What are we doing to stop it? Are we defending native soil? In the Christian life, we also need to know the why and the how of the conflict. Why? Why do we have this conflict? And how do we win this battle and win God's commendation? See, the outcome is not unclear. We will win. All of us will be victorious. We will get to heaven. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this war, is the, the end result is clear. Christ has already won. But the thing about it is that Satan does not give up easily. And he wants to take as many prisoners with him as possible. And Paul said four times, the way we overcome him is by standing strong, by putting on the full armor that we have been given. And then the list of armor is given in the later verses that I did not read. Pieces of armor that will follow, and we're going to talk about that. And God has provided a whole set of armor so that when we put it on, we can fight this battle. Why must we take our stand? How must we take our stand? Why? Why must we take our stand against Satan? Paul says we have to because we face the schemes of the devil. In chapter 6, verse 10, we have to face the schemes of the devil. People think we are crazy when we talk about the devil or evil as a person. This is the main difference between Christian and every other religion. We believe that behind every evil act is a person and he wants our downfall and the word scheme the schemes of the devil is a very rare word but Paul already used it one time in chapter 4 verse 14 it says then we will no longer be children infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming you know the word scheming is the word method. It's a military word. It means that Satan has strategized. This is the way to destroy humanity. And he has thousands of years. See, the thing about it is that we are so proud of how smart we are. But you know the devil is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times smarter than us? Why? Because he has lived that much longer. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses better than we know ourselves. And we, if we're going to depend on ourselves, we are not going to win this battle. 
That's the reason why we are told, put on the full armor so that when the day of evil comes, we can stand. Why? Because the evil days will come. And the evil day has come upon us. It is a shameful time this week. The most often asked question during times like this, as we deal with Jared's sin, is why? Doesn't, doesn't he know that it's wrong? Didn't he know it was wrong? Didn't, didn't, didn't Andy know it was wrong? It's not knowledge. Don't you know lying is wrong? Don't you know stealing is wrong? That's what Paul was talking about. We all know stealing is wrong, lying is wrong. Downloading songs for free would be wrong unless they give it to you. And who would give you free songs? It's always a carrot. Give you one free song, you buy nine. Right? We know it's not the knowledge. It's our sinful inside, our sin nature. And Satan has a strategy. He schemes. And he's after us as a roaring lion. The thief on the cross eventually asked for help. Lord, remember me. Remember? In the beginning, he was laughing at Jesus just like the other, the other robber on the other side. But he came to a point when he realized that I need help. See, what happens is that we are all smart people. Carrie has the smartest people in town. Many PhDs. So it's not knowledge. So giving you a piece of paper telling you what not to do, what to do, probably would not really help. Why? Because at the bottom of it is a sin problem. It's a pride problem. I can hear people say, I know that, but I still want to do it. And for people like that, you can't help them. Until that person says, Lord, I need help. I'm in trouble. I have this sin problem that I can't deal with. Until a person comes to that point and asks for help, that person is unhelpable. I don't know if that's such an English word. Help. Lord, I confess, I need you. Then, there is hope. And there was hope for that, that thief on the cross. The word stand is one of the most common words. I did a study of the word. Paul says stand, stand your ground. It's a very common word. And I'm just going to quickly go through it. It talks about in Acts 26, 22 and Acts 27, it talks about standing as a witness. Stand. I pray next time you have an opportunity to stand as a witness. You know, we were in a college Sunday school class. There was this medical student. He was almost about to get his medical degree, I believe, and got kicked out of school because of a sin in his life. Wasn't a Christian yet. He's homosexual. He takes drugs. He sleeps around, and then he got arrested for marijuana possession and was locked up for many years. It was in prison that he became a Christian. 
It was in prison that when he realized that he was HIV positive, when he realized that it was a death sentence, then he cried for help and he called home to his mom for help. And his mom had been praying for him for days, for months, for weeks, in fasting. And the mom confessed that it was good news that his son, her son got arrested. Can you believe that? That that was an answer to her prayer, her prayers. And his life turned around. Turning point came when he realized that, Lord, I need help. And he confessed his sin. And he got out of prison. But when he was in prison, he applied to Moody Bible Institute. That was so interesting is that the people who recommended him were a prison guard, the prison chaplain, and another inmate, I think. And he got accepted. He finished, and he went on to graduate school. And he's, he ended up teaching in a Bible school. It's like from the prison to the palace, sort of, you know. Uh, the Lord changed his life. But the change came only at that point. It started at that point when he said, Lord, I need help. So the word stand, common word, some other passages in Romans, standing in grace. Do we stand in grace that we experience God's grace, that you become a gracious person? Lord, I received your grace. And then you have standing what? Standing in faith. And next to that, in the same verse, don't be arrogant. See, what happens is that we, are so, we tend to be so arrogant about what we can do, what I can do, what you can do, and that we are unafraid to do things that are wrong. And then you have standing before the Lord, standing at the judgment seat. That would be the word we will use. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If we can't stand now, we won't be able to stand then. If we can't face Christ today, we will never be able to face Christ when He comes as our judge. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, it talks about, again, standing as we preach the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we love this verse. It talks about people who give of themselves. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, be steadfast, and be immovable. Another translation. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because times get very hard when you serve. This week has been very hard. And unless I know this verse, that I know that what I do matter, I would have given up. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Stand firm. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm. We need people who will pray for us. 
ask people to pray for me because I know I can depend on myself. I'm so glad I have a wife who prays for me every day. And literally, it says that stand firm is stand perfect in all the will of God and become mature and fully assured. That's what we need. We need to stand. Why? Because the days are evil. We don't know what will come tomorrow that will cause us to fail. Are you standing firm against the methods and the schemes of the devil? That is why we need to stand. Secondly, how must we stand? By putting on the full armor. And I know some of us aren't interested. Oh, that's just Sunday school, you know. Do you know that there are people who wrote a whole book, a thick book just on the armor and go through? Because it means something. This is the armor God has given us. This will help you, help us get through times of temptation and difficulties. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. So this is the equipment God has given to us. It prepares us for battle. The question I want to ask you this morning is, are you prepared for battle? How do I know whether you are prepared or not prepared? By asking you the question, are you standing firm? Are you, very quickly, are you reading this every day? This is how you stand firm. Are you praying every day? Are, are you sharing the gospel with people every day? Are you spending time with people, asking people to pray for you, involved in a fellowship? Uh, are you involved in missions? Are you giving? Those are ways and means of standing firm. And so he says, put on the spiritual armor so that you can stand. And I want to emphasize this. If you forget everything I've said this morning, I want you to imagine this. Standing firm means you have to be in proper balance. Stand firm. How do you stand? And I'm going to show you. That is true. It dawned on me as I was preparing this for six months. What is that? I don't know. I'm not a martial art expert. I don't know what they are, but I know that they are, they, it's, it's some of the, pose, the poses you, you, you see. But what happens is that when you read enough, they will tell you, if you want to fight, you need to learn how to stand your position. It relates to the Christian life. If we are not standing firm, we can't fight. And that is true of sports. Almost every sport, there will be a starting position. And if your starting position is wrong, you will lose the race or the match. Tennis. You know that is a way to stand? I actually go to the tennis channel and watch. And they actually show you. This is how you serve the ball. And if your foot is wrong, you will not serve well. And that is a way to stand to receive the shots. Baseball, same thing, position how they position the bat to receive the ball. Racquetball, badminton. Think of any, it's the position. You can tell whether a person is ready just by looking at the position the person is taking. But you know, as Christians, we don't care. Anything will do. Just come to church and you can learn from whatever. This is a supermarket, take whatever you like. And so what happens? We never learn the ABCs. 
Why do we send people to school to learn ABCs? Because that's important. Those are the foundations. I'm going to ask two brothers, Jeff and Justin. Jeff has a black belt. I don't know how many levels. He's an expert. He's going to come up here and he's going to come up here with his brother. He's going to demonstrate to you to take on an opponent, how should you stand? Jeff, Justin? I was going to ask them to wear their, their gi, but apparently you can't do that since it's not a real match. Hello? Whoa, okay. Hi, I'm Jeff. This is Justin. We've been practicing for a while now and in Greensboro. So, um, just a couple pointers. Um, I guess in, we practice Okinawa Kempo, karate. And um, I guess the main focus is um, we're not here. Our tools, our karate isn't meant for conquering anyone. Um, compared to conquering ourselves, that's conquering someone else is a lot easier. The main challenge is to conquer and discipline ourselves, very much like our Christian life. And um, so, go ahead and stand. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to go over a few fundamental things. Um, a philosophy in our karate, I guess, is the best kind of fight is a fight avoided. We must never try to engage a fight. Um, so the three training, I guess, stances you can say is um, we have an iron leg stance, a kibudashi. Go ahead. Another one. Another one is the front stance, senkosodashi. And another one is um, a back stance, or a, some say a cat stance. Okay. Now these stances aren't really, they may look a little bit funny, but they're used to train. They're the very fundamentals, our ABCs, you know, our scripture, you know, everything we use. And, um, but in a real encounter, we have a very natural stance, and the hands are always open because, you know, it's very peaceful. We're, we don't want to fight. It's not aggressive. It's always open, like, it's okay, we don't want anything. But we also have to be prepared, if something does happen, that we are ready. This, stand is, this stance is the most optimal for whatever we need to take. So, yeah. I hope that's a <laughs> Thank you brief so overview. Much. Thank you. I thought they were actually spa, I thought. What is the first thing you do you wipe your glasses <laughs> so that you can see your opponent. <laughs> but I think, I think the demonstration alone shows us you can, you can fight uh, an enemy if you're not prepared. So I know it's not easy. Jeff goes to uh, Greensboro every Wednesday night. You never see my prayer meeting, why? He's learning from his master in Greensboro. That requires discipline, time, and practice. And as Christians, I think we take our Christianity too lightly. Like, well, it's, it's all there. Whenever I need it, I'll just read it. It doesn't come like that. We have to catch our teachable moment when there's that hunger and God gives us that hunger and by God's grace, He gives us that hunger. 
we have to go with him and say, Lord, I have this hunger, I need to learn now. And that's true of everything else. Golf, position, practice, right? Tiger Wood changed his strokes because he felt that it was wrong. That guy says he thinks it's wrong. And then you look at this guy. Can, can you do that? I mean, I look at this picture. This is from last, last month. A Carolina uh, performing arts. Look at the fellow. I can't do that. It requires practice, preparation. Look at these people in the same performing arts. Practice, preparation. But the trouble is that many of us are not prepared. We're not preparing for battle. And that's the reason why we fall. Simple. You hear someone fall. You hear someone having a, a moral failure, having an ethical failure. You can almost trace it. Say, oh, it's always usually the same reason. Because that person is not prepared for battle. That person is not prepared to face the enemy that day. I'm just wondering, every morning when you wake up, are you prepared for duty? Lord, I'm your man. I'm your woman in this company, in my class. And I can name my friends and I pray for them. Do you do that? If you do that, you are rare. You are a rare bird. Some of us don't even know everybody in our class. Let alone pray for each one and know what are their needs. See, we only play with them. We only have fun with them or we ignore them. Do we pray for them? Uh, we go to the office, do we pray for people? Do we know what, what they're struggling with so that when the struggle comes to the surface, we have the solution, we give the solution, and we see Christ working through their lives. I've seen that with my colleagues. See, I, I thank God for the seven years I worked outside. I was never a pastor all the time. So I understand what it is like to be working in a secular world. Put on. Put on the full armor. Be prepared. I, I implore you, go back and read this passage. Look over the armor that we are given. You know, we, we have been fighting one of the longest wars in U.S. history, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq that just ended. The war was four years old, and our soldiers are still dying. Why are they dying? They're dying because their vehicles are blown up. They don't have enough armor. And what happened? The defense secretary went to Kuwait, and he was giving a pep talk. It sounds very nice. And he was explaining the war, how well the war is going. And all of a sudden, a soldier, this is the quotation, Thomas Wilson, army specialist, asked him this question. Secretary, why do we soldiers have to dig through local landfills for pieces of scrap metal and compromised ballistic glass to up-armor our vehicles? And you know what? The secretary has no answer. Because that was what happened. The, the armored vehicles were thin, thinly armored. 
because they want to go fast. And they're not prepared for the war over there. And the casualty was heavy. And as a result, you have an article later on, chinks in our armor. Chinks in our armor. Many soldiers killed and wounded in Iraq were traveling in thin-skinned Humvees, which ride on rubber tires that burn when there is a fire. So, brothers and sisters, are we prepared? You prepared for the battle? You sure you're prepared? If you're not prepared for the battle, now's the time. Put on the whole armor. Go back and read this passage. And maybe this is a picture of you today. Today. Is it moving? Sorry, I forgot. You don't have sound. This is the part I forgot. Are you putting on the whole armor so that we can fight this battle? Let's stand together in prayer and ask the praise team to come. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, that everything that we need to live a godly life have been given to us. And in this passage, Father, you have provided a whole set of armor that we are to put on. And so, Father, I pray that as we face the intensity of the battle and when we realize that there is a real battle, that we will come to you and ask for help and to take from you and put on this armor that has our name on it. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.